0: If you were not here last week, I really want to encourage you to to find the podcast, go to the website and listen to the message because we shared and I shared with you what we believe as a staff and as a leadership and I know for me personally as the pastor is the vision that God has given us that we want to spend the rest of our lives uh, fulfilling and and trying to, to pull off and that is that we want people to experience the transforming hope of Jesus That we believe we exist, that God built this building in 1972 before any of us ever considered coming here. He built this building in 1972 at 7515 Third Street Road. And he brought me here and he brought you here because he uniquely has called this church to share the transforming hope of Jesus. We want people to experience that. And so that, that one word, what this series is about, this one word series is about the word hope. And I said last week, I shared with you three things that, um, that we believe that, that we want to spend the rest of our lives doing that we believe allow us to share that hope. These are the three things, the three commitments that we've made to, to allow us to share the transforming hope of Jesus. The first thing as a church that we are doing and we're gonna, we've been doing, but we're going to continue to do now that we know what to call it, is we're going to help people really grow spiritually. We believe the more you know Jesus, the more hope you have. And it doesn't mean that your problems go away. But it means that Jesus is in your boat while the storm is going crazy. So so we believe the more you know Jesus, the more hope you have. So we want to help people really grow spiritually. We want to help hurting people, so many hurting people in our church, outside our church. I don't believe it's a coincidence that God has put the heart in us that he's put in us. And he's put us on this side of town, in this place. I believe he wants us and is calling us to help hurting people. And then the last thing we said, which is what I want to talk about today, is we want to create non-religious environments. We've already been doing it, uh, but we, now we know what to call it, and we want to keep doing it. We want to create non-religious environments. And here's what we mean by that. We want church to feel more like Jesus than religion. We want church to feel more like Jesus than religion, because here's what I know from reading the Bible. No one who ever met Jesus had a problem with him except religious people. And nobody that Jesus ever met did he have a problem with, except religious people. The only time that Jesus got mad, the only time that Jesus went off on people, the only time that he publicly went off on somebody's sin was pride and religion. But the, but the adulterers and the homosexuals and the drug addicts and the tax you know, cheats and all that stuff, they loved Jesus and Jesus loved them. And we said, man, we want church to feel more like Jesus and less like religion, less like religion. Now, when I say religion, there are two, there's actually like the word religion in general just means like a collective uh, belief or faith system, like Christianity is a religion, you know, Catholicism is a religion, whatever. Like there is that just general use of the word. But what I mean by religion is kind of the negative sense of the word. And I'm defining that as um, religion is, is trying to manufacture rules and 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 ways to know God without actually knowing God. A lot of times we say it around here that people in religion, we work harder on the perception of our relationship with God than we do the actual relationship with God. We say that a lot around here. And so that's what I mean by religion. That it is this, it's knowing about God, it's trying to obey God or live a certain way that we feel like Christians are supposed to live, we just don't actually have that genuine relationship with God. We want people to experience the hope of Jesus, not just know about the hope of Jesus. Now I have a confession to make, um, and this is, you know, some of you guys won't even believe me, but I'm 31 years old, almost 32, and I've never caught a fish. I've never caught a fish, right? Never, I've never caught a fish. And it's not that I haven't been fishing, Um, I've been fishing four times in my life. And I know as I say that, some of you guys are like, oh, well, I'll take you. That's what everybody said the other four times. I don't know if it's my voice, my volume, my smell, my technique. I don't know what it is. But last night at Sadie's birthday, there were like 15 of us fishing, people who catch fish all the time. I was there. Not one person got a bite. There's something I just, you know, I don't catch fish. I don't know what it is. And... And so it probably doesn't come as a surprise to you that I don't enjoy fishing that much. Like it's hard to enjoy fishing when you don't catch fish. I can go to fish, I can have all the equipment, you know I can do, but if I'm not catching fish, I'm not really fishing. And I know that there's times where you have to wait and I know that you got to be patient. I get that. But at the end of the day, at some point you got to bring something in on that on that reel and rod to actually be considered fishing, you know? I mean, I, I, can, go, I can go walk around on, on Papa John's field, but at some point, you gotta play in the game to say you play football, right? And I bring that up because I think a lot of people feel that way about Jesus. I think a lot of people don't enjoy Christianity or following Jesus because they've never actually experienced him. They know about him. They've got the equipment. They know the technique. They hang around people who know what they're doing and who have done it before, but they've never caught fish. And so they have this feeling about them that they're trying their best to be good. We're trying to follow the rules. We're trying to be the person we think we're supposed to be, what people are supposed to act like, what people are supposed to do. But we've never really experienced the transforming hope of Jesus and so we're just kind of going through the motions. That's religion. That's religion. And so today I want us to talk about Jesus, how to not be religious, how to be a church that's not religious, how to trade religion for Jesus, creating those non-religious environments. Andrew and I, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, went to the Yum Center to see Shania Twain in concert. You can judge me if you want. It was incredible, all right? <laughs> you can act like you're not a fan, but you know every song, so just like I did. So it was great. Went to see Gavin DeGraw and Shania Twain, and um, it was awesome. And so we went down there. Our tickets were at Will Call, and so we're going. Some of you have experienced this, but we're going down there to get our tickets, and, um, and, and as we're walking that way, there's this man standing on the sidewalk with a microphone and a speaker, he would call himself a sidewalk preacher. He's not a preacher. He's a bully. And the saddest part for me was that his wife and two kids were there with him, two young boys. And my heart just broke and I thought, oh my gosh, like, God, please protect those kids from the ridiculousness of what's going on here. But um, So we're, we're walking and this guy, you've experienced this probably before, but he's, he's got this microphone and he's just angry and he's wearing some sign, you know, like the little Caesars guy, but it's got some Bible verse on it about God's anger and wrath. And he's got this microphone and he's just yelling at people and he's saying things like, like a couple would walk by and he would be like, are you lying in a bed of fornication? You know, and, and, and people would just walk. Nobody would really stop and talk to him. But this one lady was walking by and she decided to stop and talk to him thinking somehow that she could rationally have an intelligent conversation with this man. But you cannot have rational, intelligent conversations with this type of person. And so so she walks up and and says something. I don't know what she says. And he takes this as an opportunity to pounce on somebody. Uh, And so so he says, how dare you challenge me? How, How dare you challenge me? Do you even read the word of God? And so he says to her, he says, let me, let me ask you a question. Is the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament or the New? He's trying to trick her. I know that the book of Leviticus is not a book in the Bible, and he knows that, but he's trying to trick her uh, and make her look foolish, make her feel small, because that's what religion does. It tries to make people feel small, picks winners and losers. We always win. They always lose. And so she doesn't know, so she just guesses. She's like, um, old. Aha! If you would spend more time reading the word of God instead of challenging me, his, his prophet, then you would know that fornication is an abomination. And he's like just yelling, you know. I wanted to go punch him in the face. That probably wouldn't have helped. Plus, I can't really punch. That wouldn't have hurt him at all. To hurt me. But, um, you know, Andrew and I are just like angry and sad and all these same emotions and I'm sure he left that day feeling like the biggest winner. I bet he got in his car thinking, boy, we did good today. And all he did was turn people away from Jesus, you know. But I bring that up because I was thinking later on that night, um, we were leaving and I was thinking that night about just everything he was saying. and, And if I'm being honest with you, as much as that guy infuriates me, And I don't have a microphone and I don't stand on a sidewalk. But if I'm being honest, I've got some of what he's got in me. And I think a lot of us have a lot of what he's got in him. And it may not reveal itself the way that he gives it out. And it may not be that bad. It may not be that angry. But there's something inside of us that wants to believe that God is mad at us. There's something inside of us that wants to believe that God wants to be ra- give us wrath. There's something inside of us that believes that the radiator goes out in our car when we watch a bad movie, or we get close parking spots when we've been good for two weeks. We can't rationalize it, but in our mind, there, we all have this thing inside of us that we're better than other people because we don't do what they do, and if God could really say what he wanted to say, it would sound something like dropping the hammer and... That's somewhere in us, somewhere in us. I make a joke about it a lot, but growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons um, for some spiritual reason. I don't know why. It had something to do with Bart being disrespectful. I don't know exactly what it was. Wonder Years was off the table. Like, don't even bring up Wonder Years, right? And so I would have to sneak off in my room to watch Simpsons sometimes, and. Um, and I just, you know, like it's silly now. And obviously, as I grew up, like it was no big deal. But I remember like just thinking, even to this day, as a 31 year old, the Simpsons come on TV. I like grab the remote and like turn it, like I, you want know, to watch the Simpsons, right? And, uh, and I remember when I first got here uh, 10 years ago, I brought up that story for some reason uh, to Cecil. And Cecil's like, dude, that's my favorite show. I love The Simpsons. And this sounds so dumb. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm like 22 years old, I love Jesus. But even when he said The Simpsons is my favorite show, something inside of me was like, really? You, you like The Simpsons? Like, you know what I'm talking about? That nasty, ugly, disgusting part of us that thinks that we're better than somebody else or our way's better than somebody else's way. And that infuriated Jesus. It infuriated Jesus. That's why he said in Matthew 15:8. He was talking about religious people, and he said, Those people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, and here's the line. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's religion right there. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. See, all religious rules start out as Scripture. Start out of scripture. So like when Jesus was talking about this, people understood that the religious leaders at this time were were adding on to what Jesus has said so that they could always say that it's biblical. It starts in some type of biblical truth. Let me give you an example because this would really happen back in Bible times. Uh, Jesus said, don't work on the Sabbath. Take a rest. God rested on the seventh day. We should rest on the seventh day. It's Sabbath rest, holy day. So the religious people read that. And then they started trying to figure out what counts as rest, which I love that God didn't tell us because God is not necessarily as worried about following the rules as much as he is the heart of the law and the rule. And so Jesus didn't define what rest was. So people are saying, well, we we need to find out what rest is so that we can make sure nobody's breaking the rules, right? It's religion. And so they came up with rules like this. They said, okay, on the Sabbath, you can write down two words. But you can't write down three because three is considered work. So you can't write down three words. So if, so if you've got a piece of paper and a pen, if you write down three words, you're breaking the law, you're breaking the Sabbath. But you can write down two words. They said things like, now make sure you lay out your clothes on Saturday night or the, sab- before, the night before the Sabbath. Because if you were to go and pick out your clothes and put them on, you would be working. So you'd be breaking the Sabbath. But if you only put on the clothes that you laid out the night before, then you're not working on the Sabbath. And you say, well, how did they come up with this? They just keep adding on rules. So in modern day times, it would be something like this. The Bible says drunkenness is sin. It's in the Bible. So we we know that that's in there. Drunkenness is sin, okay? God didn't give us a lot more than that. He just said drunkenness is sin. So a religious person would say to that, okay, well then, if drunkenness is sin, then we should have nothing to do with alcohol, which isn't the worst advice in the world. Proverbs doesn't have a lot of good things to say about it, but that would be adding to the Bible, because the Bible doesn't say that. And then they would say, well, to be sure that we don't ever get close to being drunk, we shouldn't eat food that's cooked in alcoholic flavors. Let's don't do that. And they would say, well, okay, to not make sure that we don't eat foods that are cooked in alcoholic flavors, we shouldn't, um, uh, we, we should ask the cook what the ingredients are in the food. And you know what? Let's take it one step further. Let's just don't eat at any restaurants that have anything to do with alcohol. You see how we progress down the line there? So now we're down to like rule five. And if you confront or ask questions about it, they would say, well, the Bible says, and the Bible did say back here. But rule after rule after man-made rule after man-made rule after man-made rule. And then you walk into Olive Garden one day and you're sinning. How did that happen? Because religion piles up man-made rules and acts like they're commands from God. And so the people who are listening to Jesus talk have never heard anything like this because he doesn't sound like the religious leaders. He doesn't sound like somebody who's trying to catch them doing wrong. He doesn't sound like somebody who's trying to add more to their plate. I want to read you Verse of scripture from Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 28. And I don't want you to just hear these words. I want you to feel these words. Because I think this encompasses what we're talking about with hope. This has been the passage that the staff has been using over the last several months to kind of be our guide about, about being more like Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, this is what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, you probably know this, but I think it goes. it's worth saying that when he talks about a yoke, he's not talking about an egg, okay? He's talking about a piece of farm equipment back in that day. It's almost like wooden handcuffs um, to, to, like, they would strap, they would take, like, two horses, two mules, two camels, whatever, and they would strap uh, one piece of wood around both necks so that the animals would walk in a straight line, plow in the field or whatever. So when the Bible talks about don't be unequally yoked, it's talking about farm equipment walking in a straight line, right? So when you see the word yoke, Jesus says, okay... I want to take that yoke off of your neck that is killing you. And then I want to put my yoke on your neck. I am going to put a yoke on your neck. I do have some things I want you to do because there's somewhere I want you to go. But my yoke is going to be a lot easier, a lot lighter, a lot, a lot less burden, right? He says, my burden is light. Now, I want to read Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 again. I'm going to read it out of the message translation. I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I don't want you to listen. I want you to feel it. I want you to put yourself at the feet of Jesus as he is teaching this, as he is saying this. And I want you to figure out and, 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 and try to understand how it makes you feel. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 from the message says, are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Just take a second. That is the hope of Jesus. What you're feeling right now is the hope of Jesus. It's not religion. It's not more man-made rules. It's not more man-made stuff. Jesus says, come to me and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You can open your eyes. The unforced rhythms of grace. It's like two people dancing who know how to dance. They're not having to think about it. They're just dancing. Nobody's stepping on anybody's toes. Nobody's tripping. It's just the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says that is what knowing me is like. Sadly, 31 years of church and religious, you know, experience, it's not what it has felt like. I'm not blaming anybody, or, 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 or I'm, I'm not. I, I mean, we do the best we can, and I'm sure there are people who have been here who feel like it was religious and judgmental. I don't know, but when I read Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, I want that. I want to feel that. I want to share that. I want to give that. Do the people who don't know Jesus, do the people who have experienced Jesus, do they believe that if they were to ever meet him that it would be freeing and light and not burdensome and not heavy and not more rules? Do they feel like it would be unforced rhythms of grace? Or do they feel like it would be like... Buying a piece of furniture and reading the instructions and trying to put it together. And I'm not saying that following Jesus is not hard. Because it can be hard sometimes. But it's not heavy. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's not Heavy because Jesus has a way. When you follow Jesus, He has a way of moving you along at the pace and the speed that you need to move so that everything that you're facing and growing in Him is just right so that when it sits on you, it doesn't kill you. It doesn't kill you. It's 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 what I kind of describe as progressive obedience. See, religion would tell you that when you start following Jesus, you got to get everything right, right away. What we don't ever confess or admit is that the people who are telling you that you should have it right, right away still don't have it right, but you need to get it right, right away, right? You need to get it right, right away. I'm 31 years old. I've been saved 15 years, really committed my life to Christ, and He's still working on me. And there's still areas of my life where I'm not totally obedient to God. 15 years later. And so we act like you got to get it together right away. But that's not the way that Jesus works. Jesus works through progressive obedience so that he will give you some truth to obey. And when you obey that truth, he will give you more truth to obey. And once you obey that truth, he will give you more truth to obey. But there are seasons and times in our lives where we come to truth that God presses on us to obey. He doesn't force them on us. Because following Jesus is unforced rhythms of grace. So he doesn't force them on us, but he brings us to that place where we have the opportunity to trust in him and obey him. And if we do, he will grow us and he will give us more truth. But if we don't, we hang there for a while. Maybe we loop around the detour, the circle. We come back and God gives us another chance. We see it all the time. We have people all the time who attend our church, who come to our church. They don't know Jesus. Maybe they're a couple. Maybe they're living together. Maybe they're sleeping together. They've been doing this for years, but they decide that they're going to commit their life to Jesus Christ. We know that the Bible says that sex with people other than someone you're married with is immoral, and so we don't want to do that, but we're also not going to add more rules to it. But the Bible just says, hey, sex with somebody you're not married to is immoral. So they uh, come to know Christ. They put their faith in him. But they're still sleeping together. And the religious, the religious person, the religious thing inside of us says, well, then they really didn't get saved. They must not have really got saved. Because if they'd have really got saved, they wouldn't be doing that anymore. And there's no doubt that they don't need to be sinning. But God doesn't give us Every command to obey the minute we accept Jesus Christ. It's in His Word, but He has to draw us. The Bible says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So there will come a moment, I believe, sooner than later, when you will feel pressed by the Holy Spirit of God to say, I don't think that I should be doing this anymore. And in that moment, you will probably obey because it's the Holy Spirit leading you and not somebody saying, stop doing that, stop doing that. Why are you doing that? You must not be saved. You need to stop doing that. We see it with with giving and tithing. I can stand up here and run out of oxygen telling you that if you will put God first in your finances, he will bless you beyond anything that you can imagine. I've lived it. I've experienced it. I'm telling you it's the truth. But some of you are not at that place where you want to obey yet. And I could stand up here and launch some guilt grenade out here to you because guilt is the number one weapon of religion. Well, if you really love God, you'd do it. But you know when you'll start tithing? When the Holy Spirit starts knocking on your heart and, and maybe you resist and, you resist and you resist and you resist and you resist and you resist. But one day you can't resist anymore. And you decide to step out in faith and obey God, and you begin to trust Him in tithing, and God begins to bless you. And it wasn't because somebody beat you over the head about it, it was because you felt the Holy Spirit. And so He gives you some truth, and you obey. And then He gives you some more truth. So, five, 10 years later, you're obeying God in 20 or 30 or 40 areas of your life if you ever sat down to actually think about it and write it out. But you weren't obeying God in those ways when you first got saved. If you want serving God to feel heavy and feel like a burden, try to get it all together in the first week. Try to get it all together in the first year. But if you'll listen, if you'll keep reading the Bible, if you'll keep praying, if you'll keep coming to church, if you'll keep listening to somebody preach the word of God, you will hear and feel the Holy Spirit putting a yoke around your neck, but it won't feel like the yoke of everybody else in life who says that you gotta lose weight and you gotta eat healthy and you gotta get to the office earlier and you gotta be more productive and you gotta be a better parent. It won't feel like the weight of everybody saying, do more, do more, do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. Jesus says it will be this un- Forced grace that just says, hey, I would like for you to take this step of obedience. I'd like for you to take this step of obedience. Religion would tell you that you're saved because you're good. And Jesus says, no, you're saved because you believe. You're saved because you believe. There was actually a story in the Bible where Uh, people were having these same debates, these same conversations. In Acts chapter 15, um, all, all sorts of people were getting saved. Gentiles were getting saved. Jewish people were getting saved. Other nations were getting saved. And... Whether they weren't trying to be bad, but religious people who only understood the rules and the obligations were going around telling non Jewish people who were getting saved that if they really wanted to be saved, they had to obey all these Jewish laws. They couldn't write three words on the Sabbath, they couldn't get their clothes out on the Sabbath. The big one was they had to be circumcised. So put yourself in the shoes of. This 35-year-old guy who shows up at a house church one day and decides to put his faith in Jesus, somebody said, you just got to believe that he lived and died on the cross and rose from the dead. And you're like, I believe I'm following Jesus. And somebody comes up after church and says, I think it's great you gave your heart to Jesus, but if you don't go get circumcised tomorrow, then you weren't really saved. And the 35-year-old dude's like... I don't know if I want to do that, right? And so they've got all these rules that they're laying on. And so all the disciples and the apostles and the pastors, and they get together in Acts 15, and they start debating, well, should we add more rules? Should we not add more rules? What do we need to do? And finally, Peter steps up in Acts 15, verse 10, and he says, so he's challenging the people who are saying more rules. He says, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers, here's that word again, with a yoke, that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. In other words, Peter says, can we just be honest for a second? We're trying to get people to follow rules that we can't, even all, we can't keep all the rules ourselves. Peter probably made eye contact with, you know, Rabbi Joseph over there. And was like, I don't know what you was doing last week. You know, like, let's stop acting like we are, you know, you know what I'm saying. Verse 11, he says, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Amen. the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus so later on in verse 28 James says for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to, no, to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements and they gave him three things don't eat meat from idols don't eat meat that has running blood and don't have sex uh, uh, don't be sexually immoral he says look just do those three things don't worry about all the other stuff We don't want to make it harder for you to know Jesus, and that's what religion does. That's what religion does. It says work harder, do more, be better. No wonder there's so many people who don't enjoy a relationship with God. No wonder there's so many miserable Christians out there. Anybody ever met a miserable Christian? Anybody ever met one of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No wonder there's so many miserable Christians out there because we aren't experiencing the unforced, rhythms of grace with a relationship with Jesus we're just trying harder to be better and not screw up and tell everybody else they need to be better too that's not that's not Jesus it's not Jesus I was thinking about the story of the rich young ruler and um compared to Zacchaeus because you're talking about you're talking about Uh, how God takes a little bit of truth and gives it to us and he asks us to obey and a little bit of truth and he asks us to obey. You know, when the rich young ruler walked up to Jesus, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Like, that's really hard. That's like challenging. Zacchaeus, who was a financial uh, embezzler, tax cheat, like he was crooked financially too. All Jesus asked him to do was go to lunch. So the rich young ruler had to sell everything he had. Zacchaeus just had to say yes to go into lunch. Why? Because God, because Jesus knows where we are and what we need to hear when we need to hear it. And so I made a list of some of the differences between religion and Jesus. Some of the differences between religion and Jesus. Religion says uh, it's about how much you know. You need to know more. Jesus says it's about how much you're willing to obey. I would rather you be one for one, knowing one truth and obeying it, than knowing a hundred truths and not obeying them. Religion says you need to figure everything out now. Jesus says just obey the truth you have now. Religion says act like you have it all together. Fake it until you make it. Jesus says confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another so that you may be whole and healed." It's crazy how we act like we have it all together, isn't it? That, like, you know, I get frustrated sometimes when you're in a group of people, Christians, and we, like, go around the circle and we say, like, hey, um, uh, got any prayer requests? And, you know, inevitably somebody's like, hey, pray for my aunt's cousin. She's got a cough. And, and, like, nothing wrong with your aunt's cousin. Like, I want to pray for her and I want that cough to go away. But, like nobody's ever, nobody's ever like gives a prayer request of like just brutal honesty. Nobody's ever like, hey, listen, guys, pray for me. There's this person in the office that I'm really attracted to and I'm seriously considering cheating on my spouse and I don't wanna do that. So will you just, just pray for me? Nobody's ever said that. Nobody says, hey, listen, um, I'm thinking about leaving the faith. I'm doubting God. And I don't think I wanna serve him anymore. I'm not sure yet. Would you just pray for me? Nobody ever says that. We feel like somehow we would be doing God a disservice, we'd be judged, whatever it is. God says, no, confess to one another. Pray for one another. I want to know the things about you that I really need to be praying for. Not your second cousin's hangnail. I, I, I want to I pray for those struggles that you're having. If you have a family member that needs prayer, I'll still pray for him. I promise. Andrea hates when I say that stuff. Okay, um, religion says God's watching you. Be careful, God's watching. Jesus says, I'm I'm with you always. Like, I I mean, I'm I'm with you. Religious people used to always say to me, like, if Jesus was to come back, is that where you'd want to be? That's just fear and guilt. Jesus says, I'm just with you. Like, wherever you are, I'm with you. Religion says, God loves you when you're good and is disappointed in you when you're bad. Jesus says, I'm your father and you're my child. I'll never stop loving you. Never stop loving you. Religion says, try harder. Try harder. What's wrong with you? Try harder. Jesus says, rest in my grace. Rest in my grace. Jesus gives us hope. Religion gives us hate, hurt, condemnation. And so, we want this place to be a place where hope can be felt. Like, we want it to be tangible. We want you to breathe it in. We want you to feel it. We want you to know that you're experiencing the hope of Jesus, not religion, not guilt and shame and condemnation. You know, I can tell when I'm getting away from Jesus, when I'm shifting away. I can tell when I'm more about, I know more about him than I'm experiencing him because my tone gets harsh. I quote scriptures more about God's wrath than I do his love. And maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, I've tried to serve God, but it feels heavy. It feels impossible. It feels like so many things that I I just I don't know if I can do it. You know, it makes me think about when we found out we were having our first kid and um, like I didn't know how to be a dad and so i've learned at every stage what i needed to learn now andrew was reading like 14 parenting books i just watched a bunch of full house like i'm just you know that's how i'm going to that's where i'm going to learn but i you know what at every stage i've learned what i've needed to learn to be a good parent and when i felt this pressure of having to be the perfect parent before my kid ever showed up it was just heavy So maybe you're here today and you're like, man, Jason, I'm trying to serve God, but I just feel like there's so much I'm supposed to know and so much I'm supposed to do and I just don't know how to do it all. And you're trying too hard. Just rest in the unforced rhythm of grace. Don't listen to the man with the microphone and the speaker on the sidewalk. Listen to the voice of your heavenly father who loves you right where you are. Let's pray.